Let's just come before our Lord and ask him to turn words into changes in our hearts. Let's pray. Lord Almighty God, as we open your inspired word to us this morning, may it be just that. May you speak through your word. May they not just be words on a page. But may we subject ourselves to your will, as shown to us in your word. Lord, thank you for your example, Lord Jesus, when you came to this earth. When you subjected yourself to temptation, and thereby showing us how we too can withstand it. So Lord, help us to learn these lessons, and then to obey you quickly. We pray. Amen. This is such an important passage we're going to be looking at and so what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4 verses 1 to 13 this morning and then next week I'm going to do something I don't usually do and that is do a topical sermon and that's going to be on Satan's attacks on us and how we can withstand them because it's such an important topic today. We're going to be seeing some of the ways in which Satan attacks or tempts and how Jesus withstands these temptations. But next week I want to take even more of those and just look at the practical ways from God's Word that we can withstand Satan when he tempts us. So I'd urge you to come along next week and let's see what God has to say to us. But this morning Luke chapter 4 verses 1 to 13 And I'm reading from the New King James this morning. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you, and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then Satan brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him 
until an opportune time. Note those words. This is a remarkable passage in front of us this morning because it records a confrontation which was unseen by human beings. And therefore it must have been given to the human writers, Luke and Matthew, by the Holy Spirit. No human being saw this, you see. And it's a confrontation between Jesus, the Son of God, and between the arch enemy of God, Satan himself. And interestingly, it's all under the direction of God himself through the Holy Spirit. So what a confrontation this is. And these three temptations that we have recorded here for us are the climactic ones. The culminating temptations. Scripture doesn't tell us about the rest of those temptations and what they were. But Scripture does tell us that Jesus went through every temptation on our behalf. So these 40 days, he must have experienced so many temptations. So this was an intense time of spiritual battle. Jesus did not even think of hunger for 40 days. Now I know what I'm like after one day. But for 40 days, this time of temptation, this spiritual battle was so strong that Jesus didn't even think of hunger. He might have had water, but he didn't even think of hunger. And then I love verse 2. The Bible so understates this, doesn't it? And he became hungry. (laughs) You see, we're not told what type of temptations Jesus faced but it must have been the whole plethora of them because we do know that there is no temptation that we can experience which Jesus does not understand. Hebrews 4.15 says so. And so Jesus is led by the Spirit to be tempted but by Satan. When they design a new boat or a new aeroplane, they put it through intensive tests. In, a, in the case of an, a yacht uh, called sea trials. And they put it through every type of test they can. But if it can withstand the storm and the intensity of a storm, then they know that that boat is seaworthy, as it should be. But Jesus being tested here, was it so that he could know how strong he was? No, I think there was another reason here. Jesus was being put through all these temptations through Satan so that Satan could get a message too. You see, Satan wasn't used to this God-man. And here was Jesus in the form of a human being. And God was saying to Satan, now take note, Satan. You're going to tempt him for 40 days. You're going to put him through all the temptations, but he will not fall. Take note. Because remember, where is Jesus now? He's at the start of his ministry as a man, the God-man. And so this time of temptation was the last event preparing Jesus for his ministry. And we see where Satan attacks Jesus Christ. He attacks him on his sonship. Remember what had just happened? Jesus had gone through baptism, and when Jesus came up out of the waters of baptism, an amazing thing happened. The heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. And then this voice came out of heaven. This is my beloved son. And now Satan attacks Jesus Christ on his sonship. 
You see, after the spiritual high, and it must have been something like that. I mean, if this happened to me, I'd be on a spiritual high for weeks. But right at that very crux of Jesus is the Son of God is what Satan uses to attack Jesus. How does he do that? He says to him, you need to question God's love, Jesus. Why? He says, if you are the Son of God, command the stone to be turned to bread. You see, after 40 days without food, Jesus must have been physically weak. I would be. I'd be dead. Jesus was physically weak. It shows Jesus' strength too. He was the son of a carpenter, remember? And he must have been mentally and emotionally drained after 40 days of this experience. And this is a strategic time for Satan now to try his increased assault, his all-out assault now on Jesus Christ. And there's a lesson there for you and I, you know. After those times of spiritual high, you've been through the waters of baptism, you've led a friend to the Lord, you've overcome a specific spiritual victory, watch out. That is when Satan will attack you. And he'll try and bring you off that high and show you you're just a human sinner. Watch out. It's a strategic time for Satan. And so he says to the Lord, if you are the Son of God, and he uses that, that word if in, in the way that we'd say since. Since you are the Son of God, how come he attacks Jesus' sonship? He says it like this. He says, Jesus, if what was said at your baptism is true, then why should the beloved Son of God have to suffer in this way? Why, if you are the Son of God, is God putting you through this intense hunger? Why has He led you out into this extreme heat, into this desert experience? Maybe your Father doesn't really love you as much as you think He does. Look what He's put you through. You're the Son of God. You see, he directly attacks Jesus, firstly, through his physical desires. Jesus was hungry. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, your father doesn't love you. You're going to have to help yourself. So you see these rocks here. You can do this, Jesus. Turn them into bread and feed yourself. You see, what was he doing here? He was tempting Jesus to misuse his divine power for his own purposes. He was saying it in this way. He was saying, your father's not going to help you. Help yourself. Use your power to satisfy your needs and desires, Jesus. Satisfy your hunger cravings. You are hungry, aren't you? Sounds isn't innocent enough, doesn't it? Why can't he turn bread into stone into bread? See, what he was actually doing was saying this. Why should you trust in your father to supply your needs, Jesus? And everything you need? Hasn't he put you in this predicament anyway? Help yourself, Jesus. You see, Jesus could easily have turned a stone into bread. It was nothing to Jesus. He rose people from the dead. There was a dead body and then they had life. So why couldn't he turn a stone into bread? But you see, as the Son of Man, it wasn't God's will that he use his powers in this way. To help his own, to help himself. He, as the God man, also had to trust in his heavenly father to provide for his 
earthly and daily needs. And that's the, the lesson Jesus Christ teaches us. That even as the Son of Man, the one who can do all these things, I trust my Father and I trust His love for me. Have you ever been tempted to, to doubt God's love for you? Yes, His Word says that God loves you, but how come you're having to endure this specific situation? How come you're having to go through with a sickness in your life? How come you're having to struggle continuously with hardship, financially or whatever it might be? Maybe God doesn't love you as much as His Word says. So just help yourself in any way you can. God will understand. You see the temptation? But there's an even more subtle temptation, you know. There's not just three temptations here. Remember, these are the climactic ones. Satan kind of packages all these these temptations into three groups. Look what he does. There's a more subtle temptation here. You see, Satan was asking Jesus to separate the physical from the spiritual. It's only hunger. What's that got to do with your spiritual life, Jesus? You see, in the Christian life, Scripture teaches us that even eating and drinking is a spiritual exercise that we can do to glorify God or not. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So no, it's not just a physical exercise. And whenever we label different spheres of our lives, whether it's physical, material, financial and spiritual, we are bound to leave God out of one of those and say, well, I'll handle this, God. You handle the spiritual stuff. God says, I am Lord of your whole life in every single aspect of it. You see, Christ must be first in everything or he is first in nothing. I'm going to repeat that. It is very important. Christ must be first in everything in your life, every single facet. Or he is Lord in nothing. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning of some area in your life that you still need to bring under God's control? Because if you don't, Satan will use that area for the attack. He will point his arrows at you in that specific area. Let's note Jesus' response to Satan because we can learn from this, you see. You see, Jesus doesn't get into a, a theological argument about his sonship. Many of us are tempted to do that sometimes. Yeah, you know, well, you know, I can think through this and I can argue from the Bible and I can use all kinds of passages to show you Satan. A theological, but no. He doesn't speak to Satan about the fact that God is putting him through this experience and why God's doing it. He doesn't speak to Satan about his own ability to turn a stone into bread. No, he doesn't get into those. Jesus goes straight to Scripture. And he counters Satan with Scripture. And all his quotations are taken from the book of Deuteronomy, which was the book of God's law. This is what God wants you to know. This is the way God wants you to live. It is written. You see, God... Jesus pits God's wisdom against Satan. This is the very same lesson 
that Israel had to learn when they were out in the desert. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. You see, when Israel was out in the desert, what did they do? God provided a meal for them. And then they moaned. But Lord, we want to go back to Egypt, to all the beautiful food and the garlic and all those herbs and spices. But God says, no, I will provide what you need. And so God keeps them in their desert until they learn this lesson. Man shall not live on bread alone. You see, satisfying one's need for food is not as important as trusting God to provide for all our needs and obeying God despite the circumstances. Israel had to learn that lesson. doesn't matter what the circumstances are. Trust in the Lord. He will provide for your needs, but you need to obey Him. Where are you and I experiencing areas of hunger in our lives? Areas of need in our lives, whether they are physical, spiritual or emotional. Areas that need God's attention. Have you ever been in circumstances where you've wondered how you're going to make it? Whether that is financially. Whether it is in a sickness that you have. Whether it is those family issues and you wonder how are we going to make it through this. Whether it is in your marriage and difficulties between you and your husband or your wife. Or whether it is in employment. What are we going to do to survive? You see, it is in those circumstances it is imperative to continue to do what's right first and to look to God to provide and for God to give you the solution in that circumstance. Trust Him first. He does love you. God loves you. Believe Him and trust Him. There's a second lesson here for us. It's also imperative that we don't just accept those desires that are in us and say, well, That's the way I was made. That's the way I'll be. No, Scripture says get to grips with your emotions. Get to grips with your desires. You see, Jesus was hungry. He could have made bread. He could. But he knew there was something more important. We all have personal desires and passions. But no one has the right to simply just to give in to them. We are to recognize what is sinful in our lives. We are to recognize what is damaging us spiritually and damaging other people, we are to recognize what defies our Lord, and then we throw ourselves on the mercy of God in Christ Jesus, and we cry out to Him, Lord, take away these things from me. Take away these unwanted traits. And Lord, in their place, fill me up with Your Spirit. Now be careful. I'm not saying refill me with Your Spirit. I'm saying, Lord, where You take away those sinful areas in my life, may the Spirit fill up those areas too. May you be Lord of my life in everything. That's what we are praying. But don't just let your desires go because you think they're too strong for you. They will become master of you. Satan will make sure of you. Do work with the Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can deliver you and I from being pathetic slaves to our own passions. Put God first. Put those areas under the Lord And God will take them away from your life if you allow Him to. But if you're going to hold on to those things, you're going to have a cancer inside of you. And it will grow. And it will get bigger. 
And one day, it will cause great damage to your soul. Deal with it. The Lord can do it. He loves you. Put God first. Now I'm going to do something radical. It's not often I do that. We're going to go elsewhere in the text. You see, in the book of Matthew, he gives us the chronological order of how these temptations happen. And so I want to follow that chronological order. And so we're now going to skip to verses 9 to 12. Right? But don't fear, I'll be back. Verses 9 to 12. What happens in these verses? Then Satan brought Jesus to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, You are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, he says, throw yourself down from here. Come on, Jesus, you can do this stunt. Throw yourself down from the top of this big building. For it is written, You want to use the Bible, Jesus? I will too. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And he leaves out a bit there. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Come on, Jesus, throw yourself off the temple here, because the Bible says the angels will come and they will rescue you. You won't even stub a toe, Jesus. Now, was that true? Could that happen? Of course. But is that what God had for Jesus to do? Did God send him to earth to do these amazing stunts? No. You see, Satan knew that if he quoted Scripture, even though he misquoted it, Jesus might fall for it. But Jesus wouldn't, you see. What does Satan do? He leaves out a very, very important little phrase in that first quote of his. He says, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And he leaves out, In all your ways. Now, that was very important. You see, his argument was this. You see, Jesus, if God protects his own and you are his son, then you can jump and not worry. You can run over the edge and you won't die. It wasn't God's will, was it, for Jesus? No, this was Satan's will for Jesus. And Jesus knew that. And because it wasn't God's will, could Jesus therefore claim this promise of God? You see, there are many people today who misquote Scripture and who quote specific verses in Scripture and make them say what Scripture was never intended to do. And they say because Scripture says it, God will do it. Well, there's an important lesson here. You see, what Satan was doing, he was tempting Jesus again to make misuse of his divine authority and to make misuse of his relationship with his own father. That's what Satan was doing. And look how Jesus retorts. Look how Jesus gets back. He again quotes scripture. He says, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, Jesus referring to Israel, when Israel grumbled against God because they didn't have water in the desert. And they put God to the test by demanding that Moses bring forth water from a rock again, like he had done previously. Jesus balances what Satan has said with another quote. Scripture balancing Scripture, important principle there. But Jesus doesn't misquote Scripture this time. 
and make it say what he wants it to say, as Satan had done, <clears throat> Jesus states the truth. He says, don't put the Lord, your God, to the test. What is he saying to Satan? He's saying to Satan, Satan, neither you nor I, as the God-man, should test God. We can't test God. <clears throat> you see, when you and I, as children of God, live by the will of God, that is by God's principles as put out in His Word, then yes, we can claim the Father's care and the Father's protection. But if we willfully and hard-headedly get into trouble and expect God to rescue us when we are disobedient to Him, then we are testing God. Do you get the difference? If you live by the will of God, then you can claim the promises of God's care and love and protection over you. But, if you are disobedient to the Lord, how can you get into situations and say, but God, you will rescue me? So we'll say things like this. Lord, give me good health. And we pray. You're on your knees next to your bed. You might even get into the praying posture if there is such a thing. And you say, Lord, give me good health. But then you go out of that time of prayer and you live an unhealthy lifestyle. Why should the Lord listen to your prayer? You say, Lord, help me to grow spiritually. It's a very pious prayer, isn't it? It's a very worthy prayer. But then you don't have a daily relationship with the Lord. You don't read His Word daily. You don't attend church services and sit under the ministry of the Word. You don't act on the truth when you hear it from the Word. How is God going to bless you? You are disobedient. You say, Lord, bless my family and my children, Lord. And then I don't bring them up in the way of the Lord. You see, what are we doing? We are testing God. You see, we are trying to force Him or dare Him to act contrary to His Word. We try His patience, even though He is a long-suffering and a gracious God. We try His patience. Is there an area in your life and mine that we are deliberately living in disobedience and yet we are still expecting God to bless us and to guide us and to give us peace? Is there an area? And you know what area that is because every time it comes up in your life, you know and you kind of put it aside and yet you expect God to bless. And yet you still expect to have peace before the Lord. You see, we are trying God's patience. We are misusing our relationship with Him. Do you get what that second temptation was? The last temptation, and now we're going back, for those of you who will be relieved, to verses 5 to 8. If you worship before me, says Satan, it shall all be yours. You see, there's a progression here. From being in the desert to being on the pinnacle of the temple, and now... He takes him up to a high place. We don't know what that is or where that was. And somehow Satan shows God, Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world all at one glance. We don't know how he did that. It doesn't matter how he did that. And listen to what he says to Jesus now. He offers Jesus something which is not his to give. He says, Jesus, do you see all these kingdoms flashing before our eyes? If you bow down and worship me, I will give you all this. Now, as the ruler of this world, John 12, 31, 
Satan had only been given limited freedom to act as he wants. He doesn't have unrestrained power and authority on this earth and the people of this earth. He doesn't, even though he thinks he does. Look what he says to Jesus. I give glory and authority to whom I will. Do you see his self-importance, Satan? He had this illusion of his own power and his own self-worth. And therefore, Jesus, if you will bow the knee and worship me, I will give you all this. And Satan very He forgets that God is the sovereign God and that all authority belongs to God. Romans 13 verse 1. And anyway, Satan offers Jesus such an insignificant gift when Jesus had the glory of the entire universe under his command anyway. This is what he's saying. Worship me and I will give you this tainted earth with all its troublesome and sinful individuals, Lord. And I will give you all those self-seeking and those power-hungry kings and kingdoms. And I will give you all the destruction that comes with them. You still want it, Jesus. And I will give you the sin-tainted creation. Even though you made it and it belongs to you anyway. Pathetic, isn't it? Satan knew as well as Jesus that worship and service go together. You, you see, he comes to Jesus, he offers him this, but what does he actually want from Jesus? He wants Jesus to bow the knee to him. Because he knew that whatever you worship, you will serve. And the Father had already promised to give the Son all the kingdoms of the world. That's what that verse was about. Psalm 2, verse 7 to 8. But first, the Son had to suffer and to die to fulfill God's plan. Do you see? Jesus was going to get all this. He was going to get all the kingdoms of the earth. He was going to get the world and all the kingdoms and everything on it. But it was going to be a renewed kingdom. It was going to be a renewed heaven and earth. That's what the real gift was for Jesus Christ. But Jesus first had to suffer and to die to fulfill God's plan. You see, there was no shortcut to this glory. And what Satan was offering Jesus was a shortcut to glory. He was saying, Jesus, I know what you've got to go through, but put that aside and I'll give it to you now. Have you been tempted to sidestep hardships because of your faith? Whatever that fall might be. Does Satan use that little temptation in you as well? doesn't matter if you take that spiritual shortcut. The end result's the same, isn't it? It's used so often in our lives when we know there's a hard route ahead of us and we'd rather avoid it. Satan brings up these temptations. How does Jesus respond? Jesus once again confronts Satan with truth, the truth of God's living word. He says, It is written, Thus says the Lord. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. This was coming from the Son of God to Satan. Satan, you will worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And that is me, Satan. You see, Jesus, as the incarnate Son of God, also had to first bring honor to His Father and to serve Him. And Jesus repeats that over and over in His life. I have come to serve my Father. I've come to bring Him glory, not you, Satan. 
And that service that Jesus had to go through was a life of no settled abode. Jesus didn't have a flash house to stay in. He had to wander around finding people who would host them. It was a life of constant confrontation with the pious religious leaders. It was a life of confronting men and women with their sin, which wasn't a pleasant job to do. It was a life of confronting Satan and his evil minions all the time and casting them out if necessary. It was a life of mockery, a life of derision by men. It was a life we experienced whipping by his own creation. It was a life of cruelty and then in the end, human crucifixion and experiencing death itself. Now that was a first for Jesus. But he was willing to serve his father first. You see, his worship was through his obedience to God. Our worship is through our obedience to God first. That is true worship of God. Not singing beautiful songs and then going off and doing other things which are disobedient to the Lord. Are you obedient to the Lord first? Chunwei, not Chunwei, he's sitting over there. Um, what was his name that came the other day? Chunilal. He said it this way, he said, obey God quickly. That's right. Unfortunately, we are disobedient so quickly too. Obey God quickly. Worship the Lord through your obedience first. There are no shortcuts in this Christian life. There's no easy way to spiritual victory and maturity. Forget it. If you've heard, if you do this, these 40 days, then you'll be mature Christian. No. There is no spiritual shortcut to spiritual victory and maturity. If Jesus had to endure all this in his life, he said to us as his followers, you will experience the same. And no, we don't have to be crucified again. Thank God that Jesus died on our behalf. But yes, we have to go through hardships as well. Luke chapter 9, verses 22 and 23. This is what it says. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and then be killed and on the third day be raised. And then Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily, that's those hardships he's talking about, and follow me. And follow Jesus means that hard path that Jesus trod, where men rejected him. Are you willing to go through that for the Lord Jesus Christ? Worship God through your obedience first. I love the way Matthew ends this account. You can flick there if you want to, Matthew chapter 4. After Jesus has been through all three of these temptations, I love the way it ends. Jesus said to Satan, Be gone, Satan. You see the authority there? Be gone, Satan. Jesus said it to Peter too, by the way. Get behind me, Satan. You see the direct command from the Son of God? And what is Satan's response? He has to leave. He has to listen. Just go to verse 13. I just want to come to this one verse before we come to the application for you and I. Look at verse 13. It's a very, very important one. Don't miss it. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, Jesus went through every single temptation that we can go through, 
Look at him. He listened to Jesus. He departed from him. But look at the next phrase. Until an opportune time. Satan would try again. Where would he try again? Quite a few times when those evil spirits were found in people. But definitely in the Garden of Gethsemane. Satan would try and get Jesus to deviate from his course of having to die for mankind. Andrew Bonar said it beautifully. He said it, he said it like this. Let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. Satan will attack you after a victory and before the battle. That, those are his strategic attacking times. Be careful. And then I love the way Matthew once again ends this passage. He says, And angels came and attended to Jesus. Can you see that? God's love in action. Angels came down and they looked after Jesus in every way they could. So we come this morning to the application. And this is usually the hardest bit. The so what question. We've read all this. We've learnt all this now. How does that apply to me? There are five areas. I just want to very quickly touch on and then we're done for this morning. First is this. Jesus understands what you are going through. Jesus understands every single temptation that you will experience. How do I know that? Scripture says, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, and here's the beauty of it, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will understand, He will meet your need, if you are obedient to Him. He will meet your needs. Take courage and encouragement from that this morning. It doesn't matter what you are going through. Second lesson is this. We have at our disposal the same spiritual resources that Jesus used to overcome temptation. Can you believe that? We have the same resources available to you and I in 2012. That's fantastic. What are they? Prayer. What did Jesus do? He prayed to His Father. Philippians 4 verses 6 and 7 says this to you and I. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, do you hear an exception there anyway? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this is what will happen. And the peace of God, which blows your mind, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see that peace that the Lord will give you? It will guard your mind and your heart against what? Against Satan and his attacks. So use prayer. How often don't we use prayer? I know my own life. Lord, I need to pray more. I need to pray more fervently. In our prayer meetings, we have five, ten sometimes attending. Lord, we need to be a prayerful church. Let's use prayer. Second thing we have is we have a resource, our Father's love and His sovereign power. How do I know that? Scripture says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. That means the eyes of the Lord are toward doing word. 
the righteous. And his ears toward their cry. His ears are open when we cry to him. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. Listen to this. Verse 17. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and He saves the crushed spirit. Is your spirit crushed this morning? Come to your heavenly Father. He will love you with an all-surpassing and all-encompassing love. Come to Him. The third resource we have is the power of the Spirit to lead us. The one who the Lord sent as the helper. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If you belong to the Lord today, you are in the Spirit. The Spirit is in you and you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. There's a warning Use the power of the Spirit when the attack comes against you. Then, fourth resource we have that God has given to us is the Word of God. Jesus says, it is written. We can also say to Satan when he attacks, it is written. How do we know that? Scripture says, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 and 17. Therefore, and I'm not going to steal from Dave's thunder now, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. There it is. And having done all, to stand firm. We're going to get back to that verse next week. But here is Scripture. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see, do we use the Word of God when we come across times of temptation? Or do we try our own resources? Fifthly, we have... The resource of Jesus Christ Himself. He is our sympathetic high priest. Hebrews 2 verses 16 and 17 says this, For surely it is not angels that He helps. Does God help angels? He helps you and I as human beings. For surely it's not angels that He, Jesus, helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. That's all of us who are believers. Therefore, He had to be made like His brother's human in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or payment for the sins of the people. For, here it is, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, third application Temptation may be Satan's weapon to defeat us, but temptation is, and it will bring out the worst in us, but temptation can become God's tool to build us and to put the best into us. I'll repeat that because it was a bit unclear. Listen to this. Temptation may be Satan's weapon to defeat us and to bring out the worst in us. That will be Satan's intent when he tempts. But what does God do through temptation? He wants to use it as a tool in our lives to put the best into us. James 1 verses 3 to 4 says, The testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. So when temptation comes across your way, there's a decision to be made. When you fall for Satan and his tricks in that temptation, yes, he's going to bring out the worst in you. But if you put yourself in God's hands and use this armory at your disposal, God will strengthen your soul and he will use it for your good. Now listen carefully to the second last one. It is not a sin to be tempted. You see, Satan will come to you and I and he'll say, You see, you're just a low-down sinner. That's why you're being tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. It's what you do with it that will determine whether you sin or whether it turns into victory. You see, Jesus was tempted. And was Jesus with sin? No. He was without sin. So the temptation's not wrong. It is what we do with it that is wrong. Now, when you put yourself in temptation's place, that's a whole different matter. It is not wrong to be tempted. Scripture teaches that very clearly. Jesus was without sin, yet he was tempted. And we have to do battle with a traitor within us that Jesus didn't have. What do we have that Jesus didn't have? We have sin within us. Because not one of us is perfect yet. Jesus is still doing work with us. And so there is that remnant in us that God has to work on in us and take away. And if we don't, it's going to come up in us during times of temptation and it's going to want to grow. We need to take note. Romans 7, 15-23 says, I keep doing the evil I want to do. That's the Apostle Paul, the super apostle speaking. I don't want to do this stuff. I want to do good, but I can't. Wretched man that I am. That's a bit of a living Bible translation. But that's what he means there. You see, there was that fountain in him wanting to do evil. We need to put everything, all sin in us, under God's control. And then lastly, and I mean this, Satan can't rob you of heaven. But he will sure make the journey there hard for you. And so we are not to make it harder by trying to take shortcuts. And we are not to compromise spiritually when these temptations are brought across our way. We are to resist Satan. We are to resist these temptations. And we'll hear more about that next week. James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I realize that it's been a longer sermon to listen to. But it is such an important unit that we've had to look at here in God's Word. And it is such an important area of attack that we are put under. And that is these temptations that come across our way. But let's put them in God's hands. Let's allow God to change what can be a negative into a point of growth in our lives. Let's allow God to make us stronger. Let's resist Satan and allow God to take over our lives and to use us. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we are weak and frail human beings. And like the Apostle Paul, we want to live good Christian lives before you, Lord. And we start out our daily lives with good intentions, Lord. But so often temptation comes across our way and we find ourselves weak 
And we find ourselves taking shortcuts. And we find ourselves falling for temptation. And then once again we've got to come to you and we've got to ask for your forgiveness. But Lord, we know that you are a forgiving God. But Lord, keep us from misusing our relationship with you. Keep us from those times where we think that we can sin and then we can just ask God for forgiveness. Lord, forgive us for that attitude. Because Jesus died for us with such a great love for us. And yet, we will sin blatantly in your face. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to know your word better so that when the attack does come against us, we can use your word through the power that your spirit will give us in the direction of your spirit. And we will be able to overcome Satan. We will be able to overcome those sins in our lives. And Lord, we know that there is a promise which stands for us. That one day we will be perfect. And one day we will be free from the attack of Satan because he will be cast into hell. And we will not experience his attack any longer. But we will be with you and in your love forever. Lord, keep us looking to that day. Keep us living obedient lives before you, Lord. Until you come for us, we pray.